Hey, you're tuned in to Unleash Your Inner Goddess, Season 2, where we are deep diving into life and business as a neurodivergent entrepreneur. This season is dedicated to fellow ADHDers, autists, those with dyslexia, sensory processing, bipolar, and more. Before we get started with this super juicy episode, I just wanted to take a minute to ask you to share this podcast with your network or on your socials. You can hit the share button and post it to your stories real quick, and this is going to help other neurodivergent entrepreneurs who could benefit from this podcast. And if you feel so called, please also rate my podcast on your podcast platform. Right, let's go. I wanted to do an episode about holistic approaches to business because I feel like what I'm about to share with you is so often missed by entrepreneurs and business owners, especially those who are doing all the things, working all the time and have very few boundaries. And they are, in my opinion, the ones who need this holistic approach the most. So I love to mix the holistic with the strategy and the planning and the executing the woo with the science, and the work with the rest. It just makes sense to have some semblance of balance. And while I think true balance is difficult to attain or keep up, as life is is like a pendulum, swinging more towards your business or your parenting tasks, time with your family to rest, recovery, sometimes even survival. And it's being able to bring yourself back to alignment, back into flow, back to baseline faster. And if your baseline is a place of calm, focus, being able to listen to your body and honour your emotions, it is really not a bad place to be. So I used to be a seamstress, creating bespoke, high-end, often custom pieces of clothing. And I had no sense of boundaries. So I had no sense of when to stop replying to clients past bedtime. I would always squeeze in last-minute orders, even though my books had closed. And I was far too generous with discounts. And I had no routine for working either, which would then end up with me having far too many orders to complete, not enough time, and not enough money, um, but not enough time. So this often saw me staying up past midnight to get those orders made up and out on time. On the run up to Christmas was always particularly hairy. I don't even think balance, alignment or flow was even considered. Each Christmas season, I resigned myself to 5am starts and going to bed past midnight for literally six whole weeks straight. Once the last order was finished, pressed, packed and posted, I would immediately fall ill. It became a bit of a joke in our household that the week before Christmas I would be ill and we'd always guess what day that would be. That illness was my exhausted body forcing me to get some rest. It was worn out pushed to its limits, ignored and not taken care of for six whole weeks. And this happened for six years straight. And before I went on my journey from rock bottom, or the pit as I called it, which you can listen to in season one, episode one, if you are interested in how I turn that shit around. But before that, this was exactly how Christmas looked for me. And since doing the inner work, you know, learning about how to nourish and look after my brain and my body health, I haven't been sick at Christmas once. In fact, I am rarely sick outside of the realms of my chronic condition. So you can see why I'm so passionate about it and why I want you to know about this stuff too. Imagine if you could make some small changes to how you look after your body and see improvements like 
being less sick, more alert, less fatigued, more focused, better stomach activity and better bowel movements, less headaches, better sleep quality, less stress responses in your body. And of course, I cannot promise or guarantee any of these, and I am not a doctor, so please listen to the next part and seek any clarification on whether these are right for you with your health professional. So I have picked the most impactful areas, in my opinion, for you to look into and implement if you feel so called. Four impactful areas. And they've all directly impacted my business, how I work and how I feel working in a positive and easy to maintain way. This is all part of alignment, right? So in episode one of this season, and we're in season two, we looked at how to accept and how to see our neurodivergence as neutral. Remember, it just is. It's neither negative or positive. In episode two, we looked at how to challenge our thoughts around neurodivergence and how our brains are actively working against us. And last episode, we looked at more of a strategy to remove or adjust tasks, people and places that fill us with dread, boredom or distraction. And now we are on to the inner body work. So it's all building from each other. Okay, so the first thing I want to look at is sleep. And I know sleep is talked about so much, but listen up because this stuff literally changed my life. Sleep is often one of the first things that we readily give up. When we have an important task to do, we might stay up late or we might get up extra early. We might be working right until we go to bed or watching stimulating TV or playing high intensity games. We might even be eating super late and snacking, even drinking a can of Pepsi, right? To wash it all down with. These are not conducive of good sleep. And did you know that our brains actually work on a circadian rhythm where we need this like cyclical downtime and rest and then the alert and active time before then going back into downtime and sleep mode. If we can create a sleep-wake cycle that is pretty consistent, we will notice our bodies start to tune into this and begin waking up better at the allotted time. For me, personally, this has been a massive win as I always thought I wasn't a morning person. When I started being intentionally consistent, I found it was much easier to fall asleep and then wake up the next day. And consistency is every day, right? It's not just the weekdays. Our bodies cannot decipher between a Friday get up and a Saturday one. So I started with just getting consistent with where I was at the time which for me was going to bed about 10.30 and getting up at 7.45. Once I'd gotten used to that, I'd then aim for 15 minutes earlier, so quarter past 10 and half past seven. Moving my bedtime and wake time forward by 15 minutes made it easy to do, and it wasn't too much of a jump. And once I'd mastered that, I'd do it again. And I'm actually now on a 9.30 bedtime, as in lights out, in bed, you know, no phone, etc. and then I'm up at 6.30. Although I do find in summer I can get away with less sleep, I'm not sure if there's any science to back up this, but I personally find on the lighter mornings I can get up a bit earlier. And I even do this routine on the weekend. I even do this on holiday because the physical shifts, sort of like being less grumpy, more alert in the morning and the mental benefits, just feeling 10 times better about myself and more likely to have a positive outlook outweighs the lion for me. But what we do before bed is just as important as making sure that we're getting consistent sleep and we're getting you know, the best sleep that we can. Um, And consistent sleep for adults, by the way, is typically seven to nine hours, but obviously we're all individuals and we're all different. Um, And a quick note as well, if any of you've got kids or you've got, um, you know, other things going on that mean you have to get up in the middle of the night, it's really important to sort of meet yourself where you are. 
okay? That's a part of your life right now that probably won't last forever, right? Hopefully not. Um, your kids won't wake up in the night forever. Do what you can to keep things dark, keep things calm. Um, try not to look at your phone and re-stimulate those um, centers in your brain um, and, and try and get back to sleep as soon as possible. So I mentioned a few things before that I know I've been guilty of and not getting my body ready for a good night's, good night's sleep. Our bodies struggle to switch tasks, right? This is true in the day when we're alert, when we're working, but particularly from going from high stimulation to rest mode. So anything from a stimulating TV show, a game, or even vigorous exercise to then laying down horizontally and hoping to drift off. Not only do screens, even phone screens, emit blue light, which naturally suppresses our sleep hormones, whatever is going on in those screens are stimulating parts of our brain that need to be winding down to be able to rest effectively. So you can actually get blue light blocking glasses, even prescription ones, which I found out, and they are a good middle ground, right, to pop on a few hours before you go to sleep. But even if you could do an activity, even just 30 minutes or an hour before bed that was not on electronics, it would do your circadian rhythm and your sleep a world of good. You could start with 30 minutes and build up or start with 10 minutes if that feels like too much. Do you know, the purpose of this is take it small and build on it, right? And I think generally the recommendation, like the best, most optimal sleep, um, like pre-sleep ritual is like several hours of no electronics and no uh, artificial light, but you know, baby steps, right? Um, so things like journaling, reading, doing a jigsaw or having a bath are all really good wind down activities here. We try to aim for about 30 minutes to an hour um, and it's worked well so far. And then I mentioned having food and drink right before bed, okay? We all know that food and drink can actually hinder our sleep quality, but we, do we take it into consideration? Eating too close to bed messes with our body as it has to focus on digesting the food rather than getting us into a deep restful state. Science suggests, and again, this is a suggestion, that we stop eating around four hours before bedtime. And if this isn't attainable, start small. Lord, I couldn't do four hours when I originally started reading this. And this is what I love about looking after yourself holistically. You can do it at your own pace. Anything is better than nothing, as long as we're moving in the right direction. And drinks are another issue. I'd say mostly due to caffeine intake. Caffeine was a big problem for me. Um, it stays in our bodies for around six to eight hours after drinking it. And because it's a stimulant and it, you know, and it's suppressing the sleep hormones, it's not good for before bed. So if you're an avid tea or coffee drinker like me, the easiest option is to swap out to caffeine free in the evening. And things like Pepsi, Coke, Dr. Pepper, and most energy drinks also have caffeine in them. Thankfully now, most of them offer a caffeine free alternative uh, if you don't fancy swapping out to lemonade or something else. So I chose to swap to decaf at around four o'clock and I have a stock of Diet Coke caffeine free, which is my favorite, uh, as well as some diet lemonade. Um, and I'll talk about diet and my reasoning in a minute, which is of course a different but personal choice. So drinking just in general, no matter what you're drinking, um, before bed can cause you to have disrupted sleep because you're much more likely to wake to go to the toilet. So again, it's all being mindful of how much liquid we are consuming before bed. Um, and I think we all know as well that alcohol disturbs sleep. Studies have found that we are likely to not have as much deep sleep, so sort of the restorative uh, sleep after consuming alcohol. So again, it's mostly just being mindful and maybe tracking how you sleep after these activities, after these foods and drinks. Um, and I really wanna recommend the app Bearable. 
it is actually more for tracking overall health, symptoms of illness and chronic conditions, which is what I initially signed up to it for. But you can customise all the inputs and track your sleep, your eating and drinking habits, any pain and symptoms, bodily functions and more. It is fab. They do a free version, um, but the paid version is something like $22.49 annually. Um, and I'm going to link it in the show notes because I found this a real help for me to have an overview of how I was feeling after certain things and how well I was sleeping and so forth. So there are other things you can do, you know, like having your alarm go off on the other side of the room. So you have to physically get out of bed to turn it off. This has been another game changer for me. Great for serial snoozers. But I think the most transformational are the consistent sleep and what you do on the lead up to going to bed. So you can track it on a habit tracker too, okay? So if you're not interested in an app or you think that's too much or too, you know, too extra, I have a printable you can use where you can write three things you're aiming to do and each day you tick them off, right? So it doesn't have to be sleep related. It could be anything that you're wanting to do that I'm going to discuss in a moment. So you can use it for anything. Um, Once you're keeping on track of it, you can put the crosses on the days that you didn't do and you can look at why. Okay, what happened that night that led me to stay up late or, you know, why didn't I do the thing? When we have data, we can do better, right? And that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to have a better alignment, better ease and flow in our lives and just have more sleep, right? Okay, the next one is food and water consumption. So I mentioned a fair bit in regards to sleep, but I'd love for you to consider when you are eating. Is it at optimal times? Are you even missing meals because you're hyper-focusing and don't realize the time? If that's you, schedule in some reminders, some alerts on your phone. Perhaps you're grabbing snacks or high sugar foods because you haven't got a clue what to make. Consider making a meal plan in advance, even a super simple one that you can just choose a meal from rather than like a regimented plan. I think I pushed away from creating meal plans for so long because I didn't want to be sort of told what to eat by my past self. Um, But just having a list of suggestions that I would generally have things in to make was super uh, helpful for me. And maybe you're eating foods that disagree with your body, right? Maybe you suffer from IBS symptoms, wind, bloating, heartburn. It is worth trying to find out if you can feel on a more even keel with your food. This is where I recommend you work with a health professional or a nutritionist. So I'm going to share my experience here, but I am in no way telling you to go and do this. I have literally lived for years with constant bloat. Sometimes my stomach would swell and I'd look six months pregnant. Certain meals would give me lots of gas and I'd suffer quite badly with intestinal cramps often having to run to the bathroom within minutes of eating a meal. It meant that a portion of my attention was always on the pain or the discomfort of my stomach area. Planning what I was wearing in advance to allow for bloating, making sure there was a toilet accessible. My doctor said I likely had IBS and pretty much just sent me on my way. It wasn't until 2021 that I actually decided to look into what might work for me here. So I had done some research and I decided I was going to reduce my intake of sugar and carbohydrates. Pretty much following the ketogenic diet. Again, I want to make this super clear that I was not advised to do this by a health professional. I made my own mind up to try this for six weeks and any potential health risks were at my own behest. I had researched what additional supplements I needed, namely magnesium biglycinate and some electrolytes. And I pretty much removed all breads, pasta, potatoes, rice and sugar laden things from my diet. Hence the diet lemonade I drink. So I got four weeks into this six week trial of mine and I had seen so many positives that I was all in. And I've literally eaten that way ever since. You know, occasionally I take a few days off to eat what I want, you know, what I call normal food. Um, Surprisingly, restaurants in the UK seem to only offer something like a Caesar salad or a steak. 
obviously minus chips and minus onion rings for those on a low carb diet and it can get pretty boring. So I do occasionally have the odd cheat day. However, when I consistently eat this way, I'm, I no longer suffer from bloat. Gas is non-existent unless I drink Coke and then I'll burp. I don't suffer irregular or urgent bowel movements anymore. I don't feel sluggish or tired after a meal, which is a huge one. It is great for my productivity and I sleep better. And I also realized during this time that I'm actually sensitive to regular cow's milk. Now there's actually sugar in cow's milk too, so I don't have a lot of it, but I swap to lactose-free cow's milk at home, which I don't seem to react to, and I have coconut milk when I'm out having a coffee. So I learned so much about how I feel when I eat and drink certain foods. Um, so look into what you're eating and what and when and if your body reacts a certain way. See if you can find a pattern. And if it's safe to do so, try eliminating that thing for a week or two and see how you feel then. I know I removed a lot of things when I did mine, but I felt pretty desperate at that point. And to be honest, after those six weeks, I was planning on bringing things back in one by one to see what triggered me more. But I felt so good eating that way that I never actually did. Okay, water. Let's just get straight to the point. Are you drinking enough? Studies suggest that over 75% of people are actually dehydrated and not drinking enough water. So dehydration obviously causes things like headaches, dizziness, tiredness, and more. So you might not be working as optimally as you think you are if you aren't drinking enough water. And they say that if you feel thirsty before you need to take a drink, that is a sign your body is already dehydrated. So if you're like, oh, I'm thirsty, I should grab a drink. That's you dehydrated. Um, in the UK, the recommended guidance is 1.2 litres of water for women. And this is always a good starting off point. However, I've noticed that the US is a different recommendation. So, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. So I was 100% not drinking enough water, regardless of what the recommended guidance said. So I bought um, a one litre bottle purely to track how much water I was consuming a day. So I chose to drink this on top of any coffee or fizzy drinks I consumed. Um, and so far, I've noticed less headaches. So that is a win for me. The bottle I use, um, I think it's called Nalgene. Nalgene? I'm not sure on how you say it, um, but I think they're fantastic. They're super wide um, and you can get different lids for them. It's not an affiliate link that I'm going to link, so you can take or leave it, but um, maybe I should have an affiliate link. We literally have five of them in our house. Um, the husband has a bigger one as he requires more water than I do and all the kids have got one. The third holistic approach to thriving as a neurodivergent entrepreneur is movement. We all know that exercise is good for us and moving your body for an extended period of time has so many benefits. But what happens after you've done a 40 minute walk or your intense gym session for the day? You then settle down for six to eight hours of working, right? Pretty much sat down, not moving. Our bodies need movement through the day to keep our hearts healthy, our muscles working and our blood circulating well. It is also a super great brain break in between tasks. So take a minute or so to move your body as often as you can, right? Even if that's just going upstairs to use the bathroom rather than using the downstairs one or taking a walk around your garden or doing a couple of stretches. I found for me that this has helped me not get as sore from sitting all day. So I have fibromyalgia and sitting for extended periods of time, even in a comfortable seat, can cause pain or cause my joints to seize up. What opportunities to move can you find in your day? The fourth and final approach to thriving as a neurodivergent entrepreneur is to get intentional with your breathing. Why? Because it is directly linked to regulating your nervous system and moving you into a state of calm and out of a high stress response, that fight or flight. Really, we only need to breathe through our mouths when we are talking, 
or in great physical exertion. Think a lion chasing you. Breathing through your mouth more than needed causes you to overbreathe by a short, shallow, fast breath that actually disrupt the oxygen to carbon dioxide levels in your body. It might sound weird, but it's actually the carbon dioxide that actually gets the oxygen out of the red blood cells and into your tissues and organs. And to get the CO2 right, you need to slow down your breathing and get the O2 where you want it. Breathing through your nose also filters, humidifies and conditions the air in ways your mouth simply can't. When we wanna get out of our stressful feeling, we need to switch our nervous system over from the sympathetic nervous system, which activates when we feel stressed, to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is when we feel calm and at ease. And we can do this quite effectively with our breath. Breathing in through the nose, nice and deep, into the belly, pausing for just a moment before doing a long, steady, slow exhale back out through your nose. If you can do the exhale longer than the inhale, you are onto a winner. So I'm gonna, gonna give you a little demo. Are you ready? I have never intentionally breathed through my microphone like that before, so that is something new. Did you know that breathing is also responsible for body detoxification? 70% of the body's detoxification, actually. Elimination and sweat only take care of 30%, so definitely get more intentional with how you breathe. You'll be able to go back to baseline, back into alignment, into a calm and safe state when you can use your breath to activate that parasympathetic nervous system. You'll be healthier too from breathing through your nose more. It really is a win-win. So studying neuroscience myself, it is so important to find ways to reduce when you're in fight or flight mode. And that's the sympathetic nervous system that is activated when we are in fight or flight, right? So we wanna switch over from that part of our nervous system, the sympathetic, to the parasympathetic by doing our breathing. The sympathetic nervous system is pretty detrimental to us unless we're about to get run over by a car or eaten by a lion. Because our brains haven't adapted from the caveman times. So we are likely to activate this when we receive a parking fine in the mail or an email saying we need to talk. Not very helpful. These four top holistic approaches have all had a massive positive impact on me as a neurodivergent person and entrepreneur. I feel so much more in control of my body, more aware of her cues and what she needs, and I'm less likely to burn out or get overwhelmed because of these changes. I hope they help you. Come join me in my Facebook group to continue the conversation and share what works for you. It's called Drive to Thrive, ADHD Won't Stop Me, and it is for any and all neurodivergent entrepreneurs, diagnosed or not. We are also welcoming to neurotypical folk who are keen to provide neuroinclusive spaces within their business. The link is in the show notes, as usual. Next episode, we talk about how to set yourself up for success with algorithms, protocols, and systems. The back end of your business does not need to be scary, overwhelming, or difficult to maintain. And it certainly doesn't have to be a big mess that we choose to ignore either. I would love for you to tune in. Take care and have an awesome day. 